Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tornadics podcast. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, Timmy Lam. Hi, everyone. And Robin is on the decks. And this week we have a guest. Uh, his name is Derek DeVoy. Um, you have a charity called Taxi Watch. Um, for the people that don't know you, who are you and where are you from? Um, first of all, I just want to say one quick thing. Um, well known for what you're doing, Silvius. Um, I know personally from having lived experience of it, um, how telling stories helps and save lives. Um, it, it genuinely does. And I've seen it. I see it day in, day out. Um, everybody else who's have lived experience with us with suicide and depression and all that, they're the same. Um, they tell their story, they share the story and it does help people. So you've saved lives, whether you know it or not. Like, um, thank you. It's, thank you. It's amazing, so fair play to you too. Um, yeah. I love this. I've watched every episode, every podcast you have. It's brilliant. Good um, I grew up in Dublin, 1975. Um, Spent 10 years in Dublin, loved it, loved my whole life in Dublin, was brilliant. Um, ch- playing as a child, we, we walked out in the streets and we didn't come home till all hours of the night and, and that was the way it was and it was perfectly safe. There was no, there was no trouble, there was no drugs, there was no hassle. Um, walked to school, got the bus to school. Um, if you got the bus to school and the bus conductor didn't come down and take your money, you had 20 pence for sweets and it was, it was brilliant. Like, um, Went to school in, in Glasnevin, um, in Dublin, St. Vincent's, um, had a swim pool in this pool and absolutely loved it, loved swimming and, and, and still do. Um, it was, it was nice. It was, I had a good life. I didn't have any, um, bad, bad things happen to me back then as a kid. Um, parents separated. Um, teens got bad in the house but, but between my parents. Um, and we eventually moved to Kilkenny. Um, and after that kind of happened, I sure everything goes through your head. Like, did a parents be, Dad not love me? Did my mother not love me? What, what, why is this happening to me? Is it all my fault? And all this stuff goes through your head. And, um, I just didn't know any better. So I kind of went a bit, uh, a bit haywire as a kid. Moved to Kilkenny, which was, was brilliant. Um, I love Kilkenny. Still there all my life now. Um, it was, it was just, it was amazing. It was really, really good to get out of Dublin and kind of, it was a complete different life. Um, I was driving tractors 10 years of age and driving in fields and, and you would never have got a chance to do that. Um, I often thought, like, what would life be like had I have grown up in Dublin all my life? Um, mm. It was just different. But school school in Dublin um, and school in Kilkenny was, was completely different. I went down to Kilkenny. Um, it was slower. It was a slower kind of place. It wasn't as, as busy as Dublin. It wasn't as fast as Dublin. Um, and it was, I kind of, we moved back to Dublin uh, after a couple of years. Um, I went to first year in Kilkenny. Um then we moved back to Dublin. But before we moved back to Dublin, um, in first year in Kilkenny, I went to Russia on, on a school trip. Um, we hadn't a penny. We, we were, once we were broke, but we, we were just normal family. Um, 
my mother was on her own. She worked, done every job she could do to kind of feed us. And it was only myself and my brother. And um, Russia, my mother, I know she went hungry to send me to Russia on a school mm-hmm. trip, like, because she thought I'd never probably get the chance mm-hmm. to go again or whatever. Um, oh, you must I, have been really an eye, you know? Uh, yeah, well, I <laughs> definitely was a niner. I was definitely a niner. But um, it's just, it was nice. Everybody else was gone and yeah. she didn't let me stay at home I went and, and uh, it was amazing it was an amazing trip like. the sacrifices the mothers yeah. make you only realise when you're older like, you only realise you're older when at yeah. the time at the time I didn't probably yeah. wasn't grateful enough for it. I probably yeah. said why Why can't I go like and yeah. stuff like that but um, yeah it was hard and, and growing up without a dad in the house was was, was hard and everybody else had one why, why didn't I and all this sort of thing and, but the only thing is I, I had to grow up fast um, and I remember we were going up and down. My dad lives in, lives in Dublin. We were going up and down the train, um, myself for, for, for years. And I remember him coming down. I remember him saying to me, um, it's amazing because after I, I get into it further in a few minutes, but, um, later on in life, um, I, I found the reason to, to my depression was, uh, had a little thing to do with this. But, um, he said to me, you're the man of the house now. Um, I was 10 or 11, whatever it was coming down the train from Houston to Kilkenny. And he said, you're responsible for everything now. And you're, and put that into my head. But I didn't, I didn't pick mm-hmm. up on it I didn't know mm-hmm. anything about it and I just turned out that I was and and, and mm-hmm. I had to do everything I had to I had to work I had to do whatever I could do um to get money and and feed the family and and feed everybody and my mother done everything for us she done absolutely everything for it um but it was hard it was it was very very hard so we went back to Dublin um for second year I was in Dublin and Bray um it was my dad came down and they had a chat about it and they went back to Dublin and that lasted a year and we um, ended up coming back down to Kilkenny then to live and do my intercert which I hated school from from day one I hated school uh, the very first day I arrived I hated every school um, I had no interest in, in anything in learning I just didn't want to learn and didn't need education I was I knew everything back then I was just hmm. didn't want to do it I can relate with that yeah, yeah and yeah, um, somewhere yeah but it, it was hard it was, it was really hard and so moved back to Dublin, moved back down to Kilkenny then, done the intercert, passed it, couldn't believe it, passed it. It was the only thing I've ever passed in my entire life. Um, but while we're in, when we're in Dublin living, I met, um, a man, um, who used to do in markets and, and he was selling stuff at the markets, Barry. Um, Barry's a great friend of mine. I know him all my life now. Um, he taught me everything. Um, he taught me everything about selling things, um, how to deal with the pub. I, I never knew any of that. I hadn't. So he kind of became a father figure in the house. Um, and I kept going down. So I was coming up and down to Dublin every weekend, working in, in the Blackrock Market in Dublin. And I was only a young a kid getting down the road, but I loved it. And it got me away. But when I moved back to Kilkenny um, in school, I met with, I was the Dubs, was my nickname in school and uh, very original. But mm. um, I moved down and I never knew anything about drugs, never saw drugs, never done anything like that. And the lads um, that kind of surrounded me it was a group of five or six lads and five of them are dead now. Um but I remember meeting them and asking them, uh, they said he'd come for a game of football. And I wasn't into any sports. I wasn't into sports whatsoever. I hated it. Uh, every sport I hated it. I liked snooker and that's about all. Um, so I went up to play soccer with the lads and they were sniffing glue and they were sniffing tip eggs and they were sniffing. And I was just looking at them and said, what are you doing? Um, and they were just out of their head. And I was just looking at them and I said, no, I said, this is not for me. Like, first of all, my mother killed me. Um, absolutely battered me when she found out I was doing it mm-hmm. so I just didn't do it but I was so lucky that I didn't because that one turn could mm-hmm. have 
just mm. completely sent me down real. And as I said, five of the lads are dead. Um, they're dead now, like, and, and one of them is still around, and um, he's still in, mm. in bits. The poor fella. That's the, that harsh, the harsh reality. Mm. The harsh realities of it. Yeah, um, it's probably one of the most important choices. Well, not choice. One of the most important things you you, you did mm. back then was not kind of go for the bag or the glue or whatever because. Yeah. That could have been the... I was gone. Because you wanted, I suppose, when you're that age, you want to fit into a group. Well, you see, that's what it is. Yeah, Yeah, well, I was never part of anything, and that was the thing. I was never part of a group. I was never part of anything. Um, The first group I ever became part of was the Altar Boys in in, in Dublin. Um, And Jack Regan was a man there that I met. He was the very first person that that ever gave me a chance at anything. Um, And got the man died this week, actually. Um, and God love him. Um, he was brilliant. He, he allowed me into the Alter Boys. We, we went away to Ennis Diamond on, on trips for, mm. with the brass band. And it's, it's, it made me, uh, uh, love Ennis Diamond and the Hinch. Um, we go there kind of yeah. a lot now on holidays because of that and memories. Like it's brilliant. Um, and poor old Jack died this week. Um, but it was hard. It was extremely hard. And eventually, um, went back down, got a job, um, start working. Um, I got a job in Duns. After, after my intercert, that was my very first real paying job with a tax man. Um, and I loved it. It, was, it was, wasn't hard work at all. I was, I was working in the deli and Duns, um, started to grow up and learned that look at the, you need to work and you need to do all this sort of thing. And, um, yeah, it was, it was very hard. And I used to go up and down to Dublin on the weekends and I was still working with Barry in Dublin, the markets and all that. And I loved it. I absolutely mm-hmm. loved buying sound stuff. So I kind of, Found a purpose to, 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 didn't know what I was doing, didn't know what I was doing in life. Um, found a purpose and, and just done it. Um, at that age, Derek, did you have any, pro- did you notice any, anything, any mental health issues? No, never, never had mental health problems in my life. Um, I never had depression. I never knew anyone with depression. I never knew anybody that was suicidal. Um, it just didn't come into my life and, and I didn't know anything about it. Um, and then, as I said, I met Sharon, my wife, when I was 17. I'm still with her now. We're married years, two kids, the whole lot. Um, everything's great. We don't fight. Um, mm. it's just, I wouldn't be here only for her, to be quite honest with yeah. you. And that's a, I'm being genuinely honest with you. Um, but we, we friends then down in Kilkenny and the first person I ever met with depression, um, was a, fr- a very good friend of mine. And I just said, Oh, she needs a good kick up the arse. I just never didn't know about it. I was ignorant to it. Um, and I feel ashamed of it now that I, that I came across that and I didn't know what to say to her or whatever. I hadn't a clue. And I said, Jesus, and he's worse. I said, the, the boyfriend, I'm at the time husband now, but, um, I said, no, that's, that's, that's wrong. Like it's, what's wrong with her? She, she has everything. She's your wife. She, how could she be the best? So I said, I, I've never had depression, didn't know anything about it. And, um, this person just, uh, I just, I was ashamed that, I, that the way I've thought about her and, and, and said, like, look at, the girl needs help and, and that's what it was and thank God she's got help now and everything's going grand but um yeah so I had a few different jobs over the years then I left Duns and got another job and got another job and I was never out of work I've, I've been working since I was younger and um, it wasn't always hard work because I wouldn't work to keep myself warm um mm-hmm. physically like but um yeah so I eventually um got a job um got a taxi license and said, right, I, I just saw, I knew friends of mine had taxis and they were making more money than I was making in a week. They were making it in a day and a Saturday night, like, and I said, what am I doing? Like, so, um, I decided to go and apply for a taxi license and applied for it, uh, got the license and start driving. And, and Martin Butler in Kilkenny gave me the first start to delight for it. Thank God. Still friends with Martin. Um, and, um, he put me in his taxi driving and loved it. Absolutely loved it at the time. 
and eventually a couple of years went by I got my own taxi then um, got a few pounds together and got my own taxi um, and I haven't stopped since um, never looked back and what is it about taxis that you loved I loved it's like a confession box um, you're in it on your own <laughs> You have nobody telling you what to do. Um, I can go home when I want. I can work when I want. Um, all of that was good. I was nervous about the tax part of it and paying, setting up a business and all of that mm. sort of stuff. Didn't know how to do any of that stuff whatsoever. Um, I, I was bluffing my way through life for, from, from, from a kid, like, and, and trying to do whatever I had to feed the kids. And, and mm. that was it. And I had no kids at the time, but to feed the family. And, mm. and we just bought a house. Um, myself and my wife, 18 years of age, got me first house. Um, and it was great. It's, always wanted like I, I i pictures and visions of where i wanted to, to be and what we had to do and what life was all about but um i didn't realize the kick in the arse i was going to get a couple of years down the road after that um but that that's what taxi was it was your own your own yeah. place and, and your own sense of this is what i'm doing now and then you kind of feel proud of yourself because you've set up your own business mm. um when everybody else told you like i was told in school i'd never have anything in life i'd never have a wife kids car money house uh, yeah, by, by a career guidance teacher, uh, you'll never have anything. You're a waster. Um, all this, you're nothing. And I like really put me down, like, but it didn't affect me. Um, because, and it didn't, everybody that I've said this to has said to me, oh, well, maybe it spurred you on. It didn't spur me on to, to be, uh, and do things. I just hated him for your man for what he said to me, like, and absolutely, and I'll never forgive him for it. But look at it. And it's not a big part of career guidance is motivating people. Yeah. To yeah. Like, well, this wasn't motivation. It's <laughs> weird, isn't like, it? it? Yeah. Like that, um, that, that kind of comment could affect different people in different ways. Of you know course, what I, mean? like, I, I might be here today because yeah. of that. Yeah. Am I a waster? Am I a waste yeah. of space? And why am I here? If you're somebody that's really vulnerable um, yeah. and you're struggling at that point. Yeah. And for someone else to say that, you're probably getting it at home and then you're getting it inside the school. That could be the turning yeah, point for someone's life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was it. So um, I was sitting in Kilkenny one day, very quiet day, taxiing, and um, a friend of mine from Dublin pulled up in a beautiful S-Class Mercedes, top of the range Mercedes. And I looked at him and I said, where did you get that? I knew it wasn't his. And I said, what's this? Do you have to win the lottery or what? He said, no. He said, I'm chauffeur now. And I didn't know about chauffeur. Didn't know about it at all. And he said, um, I didn't know you were doing taxi. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, actually, he said, what are you doing next week? And I said, why? He said, we're looking for a relief driver for a week. And I started uh, that week. And I think 14 years later, I, I stopped. Um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. I became part of a team. Um Went working with, with Mick Devine. Um, Mick Devine is the celebrity chauffeur. Um, that's what he is. He's drove everybody, every single person that's come to Ireland. Mick drives them. Um, and they're, they're the best chauffeur company in Ireland. There's no, no doubt about it. And, uh, started working for them. Mick taught me everything I didn't know anything about the business. Um, just shut your mouth, put your suit on, shut your mouth, don't ask questions and don't take autographs, don't take photographs. Um, don't ask them to do whatever they want to do it and that was it um, I met everybody I've met Bob Dylan Bruce Springsteen Beyonce I've driven them all and brought Beyonce to Ballymaloo House uh, like I've met people that you would never ever ever dream of um, but what I've done is I've, I've kind of suddenly found out that because they're famous doesn't mean they're above me exactly and it doesn't mean they're above anybody and that's how I got on with them and that's how I got on because I treat them the same as I treat you or anybody else. Mm. And I didn't care who you were. If you're a multi-billionaire, I've driven kings and, and Saudi Arabian princes. I, I don't care that they're princes. Mm. To me, they're the same as you or me or anybody else. Mm. And I've always done it that way. And that's why it worked because I showed them respect. They showed me respect. If they didn't show me respect, 
they were kind of politely told. Do you ever have any divas in the cow with you? Oh, yeah, I can, but I'm, one man, and, and an Irish, I'm not going to say who it is, but yeah. one Irish artist, and, and that's the only person I've ever had. I've oh, always yeah. had nice people, and I can't genuinely say that. They, they've always been nice. Um, it's gas to think that... Um, Beyonce is at home making sandwiches with Bally Malou Relish or something. Yeah, know? probably, yeah, probably, yeah. Um, but as I said, like, and then I learned, like, you never became their friends. They wouldn't even know who you were uh, on the second time they met you. Um, third time they met you, they wouldn't know who you were. They just, they're so used to seeing drivers that you just, you're a driver and that's all you are. Um, so you need to remember, you're not their friend, even though, oh, yes, sure, I've driven this, I've driven, they're not your friend, you're, you're, you're paid to do it, your job. Mm. Um, so just move on and forget about it. And Would they get chatty with you? Like, could you have a conversation with them? Or well, I spoke to a lot of them about depression, um, about them being depressed. And that's when this all started to oh, kick yeah. in. And I said, well, depressed. Like they, I've, I've had artists crying in the back of the car on their own. And, and I'm driving, like looking in the mirror and what do I say? What do I do here? And I didn't know how to talk to anybody that had depression because I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I've seen like, like, multi-billionaire or millionaire people private jets the whole lot depressed out of their head um and but that's just the reality of it and that, that's what I, I want people to know that it's their lives aren't all what it's cracked mm. up to be um they're not the facebook is all is fake mm. the instagram is all fake all of that is all fake life is is real mm. um all those social media platforms are all bullshit to be quite honest yeah, it makes me think there a couple of weeks ago there was a documentary on RT around Johnny Cash's tour of Ireland yeah and Johnny Cash is a superstar yeah. you know obviously yeah. he came to Ireland and you know I suppose from the outside they're thinking oh Johnny Cash's yeah. country he was actually strung over his head on drugs yeah. and he was yeah. spiralled into his addiction driving around small gigs in Ireland you know yeah. so the reality of what's going on in the car to and from the tours and the gigs like is, is different from well, what that, you actually see well that's why what media. goes on in the car stays in the car and that's that's it like I, yeah. I could have shut down governments years ago if I had yeah. told what I heard in, car, in my car yeah. like, well we won't destabilise the Middle East won't be happening no won't be happening no 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 <laughs> um, yeah but that, that's just that's just the reality of it it hits everybody depression hits everybody um, suicidal thoughts hit everybody um, even comedians comedians they they get sick before they go on stage still and, and they're at this 20 years or whatever like, and uh, yeah it's it's just it's it's a hard it's a hard place to be for them as well um, but that's all, but I enjoyed it I loved it I loved the show from there's a very very good point to make from all what you're saying there at the moment for anyone that is listening to to it it's that there's no need to be putting anybody up on the pedestal no matter how much money they are or how good you think they are as singing or acting or being on stage as a comedian. Everybody is the, exactly the same when it comes to we're all made of bone, flesh yeah. and blood. Yeah. You know, yeah. so the there's one no only, one better or different than anybody else. Yeah. You know, and one that's person who um, gave me a bit of guff, um, I was driving, I remember driving down the M50 and I got a belt into the back of the, pull over the car and I said, well, I, I can't stop here, are you okay? I said, I'll just pull in up here and he hit the back of the headrest. And uh, said, I said, pull in. Do you know who I am? And I said, well, I said, if you have your driver's license in your pocket, I said, your name is bound to be on it. I said, so I said, that'll give you a hint of who you are. I said, if you've forgotten who you are. And he just looked at me and didn't know what to say. And because I didn't take it off him. And that was it. And that's kind of the one and only chance that, I, that I, or reason I had to say that. But I remember him getting out. I was with him for the whole day. And at the very end of it, anyway, he gets out and he says, I apologize for what I said to you. And he gave me two green hundreds, uh, you're on tip and he stuck it into my short pocket. And, uh, he said, that's for yourself. I said, I'm terrible. Sorry. He said, I learned a lesson today. And I was delighted myself because I said, yeah, you should learn a lesson because you're not above everybody. Um, mm. no, they're not all Davis. They're not all, yeah. they, yeah. they demand. 
different teams and all that, but it's all for press. It's I'd all say when you're uh, when you are up on a pedestal, and we in in our culture, Western culture, uh, we value celebrity and fame. You know, like we they're always in the news, and you know we support them, and they're millionaires and billionaires. They have all the status and all the fans and everything. Very hard to keep yourself grounded when you're in that position, I'd say. When all you have is yes, people around you, and mm. you've endless resources and power, and people aren't—they're not used to people standing up to them. So I'd say it was a reality check. But that's that's what happens, and and I know a few drivers who kind of if you if, if you're with somebody for years, different different people coming in, um, you're with them for years, they know you, and eventually they get to know you. They mightn't remember your name, but they get to know you, and then they start talking to you, and they talk opening the car on their phones, and like things I shouldn't be hearing in the back of the car they're talking about, and, and mm. they, they feel that they can trust you, and that's the way the Vines was. The Vines chauffeurs were, people trusted them, and they were there on time, they weren't late, they didn't, mm. they were there, they were just professional, and that's why they, were, they got all the work. So it would be cool, uh, a book, the secret chauffeur. No. <laughs> won't be happening. Won't be happening. I know. I know. You've told me. You know what? It's, but it, it, I'd say you've great stories. I, I'd it say is, yeah. But they're, 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 they're not just stories. They're life lessons. Yeah. I learned from them. I learned an awful lot from them. Um, yeah. And when people say to me, oh, it must be brilliant. And you're looking around and you're saying, it's not really brilliant. Because like, you have a perspective on celebrity yeah. that nobody has, really. Yeah. Your life is brilliant at the moment. Whether you know it or not, your life is brilliant. And you don't think it's brilliant because you haven't got this, you haven't got that. Um, but trust me, your life is a lot better than his or hers. And mm. I know it is because I've been with them. Like, um, and, and yeah, and things like that. Um, that's the way it was. That's, that's, that's the way I came into it. Um, kept chauffeuring. And if I wasn't busy chauffeuring, I jumped back into my taxi and I remember one night I was in Kenny taxiing um, got rear-ended drunk driver I had two passengers in the back of the car actually um, I came around the corner and there was a guard at checkpoint and I, I said in my own mind what a stupid place to have a guard at checkpoint right on a bit of a bend and I was sitting there and next minute just bang this car hit me and I said I knew it I just knew it was a dangerous place to be and I got out of the car I went back this woman was absolutely plastered uh, legless couldn't even open so I opened the door and she fell out onto the ground um, and I put my hand in to turn off the key and I think the guard that was there thought I was going to hit the person and grabbed my arm and bent it around my back and I said I'm turning off the ignition because the woman's foot was one foot was still in, yeah. in the car on the ignition on the accelerator so um, got her, they arrested her and brought her off I dropped the two people home bumper was hanging off I dropped the two people home Um Went back home that night, pissed off because it was a Saturday night and it was half 12 or 1 o'clock or whatever it was. And sure, the best part of the night was happening. I lost, lost the whole night's work. Went home, went to the beach the next day, Sunday morning. Sunday, the sun was splitting the rocks. Went down to Wexford, um, diving into the sea. Kids were burying me um, at this height. Kids at this stage, burying me in the sand. Um, this was in 2010 and um, came back and pains me back and I said look I'm going to go to the doctor I said because obviously the insurance company are going to want to go blah 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 mm. went out to the hospital casually next minute I was in the x-ray machine and your woman hits this button and told me not to move she said you'd be paradised for the rest of your life and I was there looking at her and I said grand love I've been swimming all day um, and she says don't move and I lit on the oak and I'm sure I froze then and I just stuck there they came in they put collars on me and the whole lot and I had a broken neck and a broken back according Jeez, to the to the radiologist so in an ambulance, and I tell you, if, if, if for anybody that hasn't been in an ambulance, if I hadn't got a broken back in the ambulance uh, or beforehand, I said definitely didn't go down to Waterford. It hopped all around the road, <laughs> but it was horrible. And I was I was tied down and all. I, I felt absolutely terrible. And the pain was getting worse because I was braced. Um, got to Waterford anyway and turned out my neck wasn't broken, thank God. But I had um, damaged him a bit lower back. Um, 
So I said, right, what do I do now? So um, Ryan, pain was unbearable. So they put me on medication and took the medication. It was Grand Oxycontins. Didn't know anything about them. Never Lovely. heard of them before in my life. Lovely as right. They were absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Um, <laughs> and went in, kept getting, uh, I got an epidural into the back to see what that stopped the pain. Nothing happened. So thank God I had VHI. And um, the only thing I've ever paid for in my life and, and never would continue to pay it, even if I was hungry, I'd pay my VHI before I pay mm. Um And went in anyway, um, went to the Hermitage in Dublin, met uh, Dr. Nagaria. And he said, um, I'll operate on you. I'm the best in the world. And he said, you can take that to the bank. He said, I'm telling you, I'm the best. He said, I'll fix you. And I was in agony. Two legs were going down. Um, started to feel bad then because I wasn't working. I couldn't work then from 2010 to 2014. I didn't work. Um, done bits in between. And I had, I'd, I had had pubs then, um, in between when I started chauffeuring, I was making a few quid and I got a pub. Um, and I was running the pub and my brother was running, my parents were in it. Um, and it was hard. It was hard working a pub and lifting kegs and all that sort of stuff. So I, when I start chauffeuring and get busier, I go away and then they just run the pub and I didn't have anything to do with it. So I, I had no interest in the pub, but I learned in, in the pub, like I met a lot, a lot of people that were in there drinking every day. And I was the type of person, I wasn't kind of, I won't say I was a bad person, but I, I didn't have sympathy years ago for people. And I wouldn't have had, if you had to pull across me in the car. I'd, I'd went around you and probably pulled you out of the car and, and said, what are you on about? And I would start giving out you and all that. Now I don't do that because I don't know what that person's gone through. I've, mm. my whole, I'm delighted that I got depression. That sounds really bad. Yeah. Um, I can understand it's that. It's yeah. absolutely after changing my whole entire life. Um, the way I thought about things, the way I thought about other people. And yeah, that, that's, that's what it's done. It's changed my life completely. It and, just and opened your eyes up to the life really and, yeah and, and how much of a dickhead I would probably be yeah. and, and, and cop on to myself and, and like you can't treat people this way and all that sort of stuff and I'd be nice as pie to other people and people would know and something could turn on me then I'd just snap and, and yeah. I was just I wasn't a nice person to be around some of the time yeah. um, do you know when you were out for the four years um were you taking the oxycontin through the whole time no what happened I got oxycontin at the start then uh took me off them and put me on other painkillers. I said, you don't need them anymore. But I still didn't know anything about oxygen at the time. Um, went to the Hermitage in Dublin, got the operation on my back and they pumped oxycontin into me in the hospital because I was after getting the surgery on the back. Um, it was horrible. The pain was unbearable. Um, going in for the surgery and I remember waking up the next day, no pain, completely and utterly gone after the operation. And I went, happy days. I said, I'm sorted. I said, this is brilliant. Um, then they started filling me. I was like getting sore then again, not as bad as it was. The, the pain mm. was gone out of my legs completely. In, instantly, overnight, it was gone over the operation. And start pumping the Oxycontins into me and Oxynorm. I was taking both of them. Um, Again, as I said, I didn't realize what they were. I didn't realize they were uh, as a hillbilly heroin, as people were calling yeah. them. And I, I only found out all this now. Um, so I took the tablets and couldn't go to the toilet. Um, I was in the in, in the hospital trying to go to the toilet and I just wasn't able. So they said, right, we're going to take you off the Oxycontins. They copped on that they were after giving me too much. Um, and now I was asking for it. It wasn't their fault. I was asking for it every day. Never realized I was hooked. Mm. Hadn't a clue I was hooked. And uh, took the tablets. Got the operation, went home, was lying in the bed, um, couldn't move in the, in the bed. I was, I was real stiff uh, after the operation and I was trying to walk again. It was hard. And next minute I got a bang on the door 
and I, it took me 10 minutes to get out of the door and I have two fellas at the door trying to take the house off me. Um, they were repossessing the house because I hadn't paid the mortgage. And I said, but I've paid my protection on my, my mortgage. And they said, oh no, you're self-employed. You shouldn't have got payment protection. You, we missold your payment protection. And I said, well, that's not my problem, lads. So more to it with them anyway. Um, and I fought the bank and, um, eventually I got it. Thank God I got it sorted. Thank God. Um, but I was at my worst. I was starting to get at me where I was going downhill rapidly. Mm. And here's these right now as well. And I had to ring the bank then and tell them. So I rang the bank and said, look, so I'm pressed down my head. I'm not talking. Didn't care. Didn't want to talk to me. Didn't want to help me. Um, just no interest. Just pay your mortgage or get out. And that, that was it. So I'd only built a new house at this stage. Um, built a brand new house a couple of years out in, in Callum where I live now. So uh, I thought my operation was grand. So I was driving one day. I had to go in to, to get the stitches removed. Me back. Uh, shouldn't have drove. But I had nobody else to drive. My wife was gone to work. But as I, as I went into the hospital or the doctors, um, I started getting dizzy and pains in my head. And it was, I was like, it was like I was being hit with a hammer, absolutely throbbing the head was. So I was driving into town. Eyesight went completely as I was driving the car. I couldn't see a thing. So I knew where I was. I got my senses and I put my foot in the brake, pulled the car into the, so thank God where I was. I knew. I, I just knew where I was and I could pull over the side and stopped and a truck came up behind me. I could hear the horn beep and I said, right, he's going to just ram me now from behind. Um, driver got out, came up, asked me, what the hell are you doing? And I said, I can't see. Call an ambulance, um, brought me out to the hospital again, lying in the bed in the hospital, um, lay down there, love you, you'd be grand. So I lay down and Jesus, a few minutes later, I could start to see again. And I was like, I thought I was gone blind. And I said, thank God. I said, visions of something snapped in me back, a cord that's mm-hmm. connected to your eyes. Um, now you're blind. Yeah, and yeah. I said, Jesus Christ, that's all I need now. Um, went to the hospital, lay down there, but while I was, I was fluid. Rang the hospital in Dublin, um, that had done it. I was supposed to go back up the next day for a checkup and I rang them and said, look, I won't be up. Tomorrow, Debbie, I said, um, I said, I'm in hospital here. My back is killing me. And I said, I can't see. And I went back. She hung up the phone. And I said, the cheek of her. I said, I thought then she was giving out because I didn't give her enough notice to cancel the open. They were looking for their 200 quid or whatever the consultation mm-hmm. fee was. So, um, she, the doctor, Nagaria, who done my back, rang me and he said, come up straight away. He said, um, you need to have an operation. And he rang me himself direct. And I said, no, sure, I'm grand. I'm in hospital. I said, I know they're looking after me here. And he said, no, he said, you need to have EOCAS. And so I went up anyway, into the lift, down the lift, straight into the anesthetist, knocked out, another operation, opened me up again and done it. Uh, I had lo- fluid inside, was leaking, it was going up around my brain. Um, and he said, it would be serious damage if I hadn't have, hadn't have had that operation. Mm-hmm. So that was the second operation. So woke up, friend of mine um, who chauffeured with me, his wife uh, went in to get her knee done. No depression, um, involved in the troubles all her life up the north, um, with her family and all that. She, she was one of the women who, who started the troubles, to be quite honest with you. And she done the, the, the real work up there. Mm. Um, she was in hospital, me, Anne. And, uh, she went down and got operation. I got up the operation. Two of us were depressed. Oh, instantly. Never had it before. Um, couldn't say why. My mother had said to me, going in, you want to watch that operation? She said, in case you get some depression around that, because mom had an operation and she got a bit of depression out. And I said, ah, yeah, it'd be grand. I didn't know about, about depression. Do you want to explain, like, uh, say you got depression, but could, do you want to tell us what, the reality of that, like what it was like on a daily basis? The reality of it was I didn't want to be around. Um, I, I, I didn't know why I was sad. Um, after the second operation, I went home and I started to get better. Um, and I said, well, I'll be able to go back to work now. Um, this is after the second operation. So I decided to, to go back to work um, and told my wife I was going back to work. So what I would do is I'd get up in the morning. She'd get up in the morning. Kids get ready for school. 
They go out the gate, they go left, I go right, and when she went around the bend, I reversed back into the driveway and got into bed in a pair of underpants and bawled my eyes out for the day and stayed there for nearly a year. Couldn't get, couldn't leave the bedroom for a year and I pretended I was going to work. And that's how all the problems started right. with the mortgage and with money coming in. And mm. I was pretending I was working and I had money, thank God. Um, but I, I couldn't keep going the way I was going and I started, eventually started running. And I was ashamed. Uh, I couldn't tell anybody. I was like, I'm the man of the house, right? Mm. too good for this to be telling people I'm depressed and I'm crying and all that how, how can you do that um, why did my wife marry me why did she marry someone that was normal um, why, why Why me I'm a mental case she doesn't deserve me the kids are going to grow up now with a father that's mental This everything bad goes through not, not, not a positive thought goes through your head um, this went through, through my head and, and every day I was kicking me and kicking me and kicking me um, and I just didn't want to get out of bed I didn't want to go I, I'll tell you the gossip I was lying in bed here en suite in the bedroom the door was two arms lengths away into the en suite bathroom and I was gone in the bucket because I was couldn't get out of bed to go to the toilet nobody knew that yeah. um, I'll be which I think this is probably the first time I've ever said it but I want this to be honest so um, I, I was going to toilet in the bucket because I was too and then I get up in the evening at 10 to 6 before Sharon would come off from work and I get dressed and I'd walk around the house and say, hey, doing pet house things? And I said, what the hell is going on? And I didn't know where I was, but that's how I felt. It brought me down so low and made me feel useless, made me yeah. feel every single thing that was wrong with me. Um, didn't want to eat. Um, and then I wanted to eat all day. And, and it was just, it was, it was a horrible place to be in. So uh, eventually I said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And my back started to get sore. So I was going for a third operation. So I went in for the third operation. Um, came back out and that was it I knew this is the end of that I'm finished uh, back as brand but I said I can't keep going on like this and I was on Oxycontins I was popping them I was eating I'd say I was drinking 10-15 Oxycontins a day I don't know how in my life because that's just like heroin in a pill form yeah uh, but I didn't know that and nobody told me they were addictive not one my own doctor who Dr. Lee who was a fantastic man um, didn't tell me they were addictive just gave them to me and the, the hospital just kept giving me, your mom kept coming over and handing me a drink them. I said, thank you. So I didn't, I didn't even know. I, I trusted them because that's what mm-hmm. I thought. So I took the tablets. Um, but then I got hooked on them and I loved them. I absolutely loved them. They were the best thing I've ever, I never, I never done cocaine. Genuinely, mm-hmm. I've never done uh, I've weed. I've never done any of that, but Oxycontin was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for people because, uh, and anybody now that I, that says I'm on Oxycontin, um, my, my neighbor down the road was in a, an accident and he's actually on Oxycontin. I said, look, watch them. I said, they're dangerous. And mm-hmm. he wasn't told about them being addictive. Um, but I told him and I was just so delighted and happy on him. And I, well, it's all I was, but all I was doing was masking what was going on and, and, and killing, hiding what was going on. But my wife was able to say to me, you didn't take your tablets because she knew. And that's me. Didn't even register that there was something different in my, in my attitude. So, um, I kept taking tablets and then I went to the hospital one day and they cut me off them, but I wasn't weaned off them. I was just, they said, you don't need them anymore. And I was the pain gone. I said, it is. Yeah. I said, I don't, I don't have much pain, but no which I didn't. No wonder it's gone. Of course the pain is gone. <laughs> I, the the <laughs> yeah, I was on my head with tablets. I was eating them like Skittles. Now, You're the good thing was, floating around. Yeah, I was floating around the place, but I, I actually have a video of me sitting at the kitchen table when it got really bad. And I was just looking around me like this and I was just staring into space. I was stoned out of my head. Um, so I, I kept taking them. But then when I got cut off, I said, what am I going to do? And I was driving a back, back driving taxi then, um, an odd few nights just to get in a few quid. And this woman came up and she was 70. And she said, how's the back? And I said, ah, I'm grand now. I said, it's, it's killing me. I said, I'm still on painkillers. I said, I actually have to get more Oxycontins. Oh, I got them, she said. And I said, did you? And it twigged with me. 
and she became a drug dealer. Or she yeah. became <laughs> the seventy-year-old yeah. woman became the woman I was given money to for my medication. So my drug dealer, you have visions of a drug dealer mm. being out there, whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever picture you have of a drug dealer it wasn't a seventy-year-old uh, grandmother from 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 a housing estate. So I was going down to her, giving her twenty quid for a box of tablets. She was all over the moon with herself. Um, and then her doctor said, hold on a minute, what's all these tablets for? And he stopped giving it to her. So I had to find out. She told me her friend would get them for me, right? And because she thought she was helping me out. It was, and I was helping her out with the money. She was helping me out with the tablets, but it wasn't because I was addicted to them. She didn't know I was addicted to them. She was giving them to me because she thought I needed them to stop the pain. And that's what she thought she was helping me, um, which she wasn't. She was actually making it 10 times worse. Um, but. What kind of, uh, what, what kind of a strength were they and how many were you taking a day? How bad did it get for you? Uh, I could take up to 10 a day, 10, 15 a day. It depends what I do. Mm. And I don't know how I oke. Um, yeah. I, I noticed, I started shaking, um, and all that. But if I, not if I took them, if I took them, I was okay. Yeah. Um, and how I, how I got off them was I, I went to a, a trade fair in, in the UK. Somebody else was supposed to be go, uh, go with his son and he couldn't. Barry, my friend of the oak, and he couldn't go. And I went with his, with his son and I was in bed that night and I was like that. I forgot mm. my tablets. It's horrible, horrible me, feeling. Well, it is it? when you're in England. Yeah. Um, and the I didn't realize. The so nightmares you have coming on off from Everything. Every, uh, the whole team went yeah. to me. All I wanted to do was get home to my own bed um, and get into that bed and just stay there on my own, pull the covers over until mm. this ends. I didn't know what it was. And I actually came off them um, and I, I got them at home and I had them beside me in, in, in the dash of the car and I went into town one night to collect a uh, taxi, work taxi, and there was a chap in there. And he got into the car and it was, it was one of these, look, as all taxi drivers do it, they do drug runs. We, we yeah. you know, go to somebody's house. I forgot my phone. Um, yeah. it's amazing because you're the 50th person today to go to that house, love. That is, Man, he's a taxi I was in like that. Yeah. 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 So, four, yeah. four o'clock in, in the morning. I just got home to the shop there. Yeah. yeah. From skins. I, I, we know, but look, at, yeah. I'm not the one to, to criticize anybody or judge anybody. So. Well. We didn't do it. And, uh, yeah, man saw my, I had four Oxycontin. And it was the last four I had and they were on the dash and your man was there and he was staring down at the oaks. And I said, is he going to rob me phone or what's he looking at here? I didn't know what he was. And I copped in and I said, is it a tablet? So, um, <laughs> he said to me, yeah. So he said to me, uh, what's the story of the tablets? And I went, oh, I said, I need them for me back. I said, I actually finished them off them today. And he goes, yeah. He said, I have an awful pain in me back myself. He said, and I copped it. I said, no, he's not. He's, there's something wrong here. Um, so I said, right. Don't bullshit. I said, what's the story? And he goes, he said, I crush him. He said, um, he said, I'm highly addicted to him. He said, he said, that's where I'm going out to get other stuff. And that's blah, blah, what we blah. used to do as well. We used to get Oxycontin too from certain people. Yeah. Um, but they are, we used to get 20s. They were kind of like an orangey peach. Mine were orange peach color. Yeah. They're the ones I was well, on. Yeah. It does a time release on them. Yeah. They're, so they're coated. You, yeah. Exactly. So when you crush them up and snort them, that's what we used to do. With them. I didn't know that. Yeah. Thank God I didn't know that because yeah. I probably would have been honest. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was getting such a bang out of them and, yeah. and they were great. But, uh, yeah. So that's, that's what happened. He, he gave me them. Um, but, so after the third operation, and Anne as well, um, Anne went on to, to take her own life um, with depression. And that stemmed from coming out of the hospital with me. Yeah. Um, and that's when suicides became real. Uh, mm-hmm. in my, and I was already in a bad place. And Anne was ringing me because she, she could talk to me because I was talking to her in the hospital and she knew me. Mm-hmm. And I, I tried everything to talk to her, but I didn't know how to help people. That were, I just kept talking to her and said, look, you'll be okay. It'll, it'll be grand and all that. And, and, and she took her life. Um Sad. I, it's just, it was just awful. Just absolutely awful. It's very sad. Yeah, it was very sad. But it, it was when it could have been prevented. Mm. Um, and look at it for another day what happened. But yeah. um, she went for help and, and, and didn't get it. Um, oh, yeah. But 
yeah, that, that was that was what it was. Um, but I went back to work. Eventually, anyway, I got off the tablets. Um, had to go back to work. I was up to my tonsils in debt at the time. I had people ringing me looking for money at Ephraim Centre bills, um, revenue, mortgage, everything. Everything went wrong. Um, went back to work. First night back to work, man standing on the bridge. Um, I didn't know what to do. Didn't, I had no training at all in anything. Um, I'd never done anything in my education in my life. All I was was going to be a tax driver for the rest of my life. And that was it. Happy out. And I stopped the car in the middle of the road because I knew what this man was going to feel like. I, I didn't care how bad or the traffic was behind me. I just stopped. I got out. Everybody around him was oblivious to me. I, or to me, I didn't even see them. I just saw them standing there, but I didn't realize two bouncers had talked him, trying to get him off the bridge, talking to him. And I just walked straight into the storm, straight into the middle of him and said, look, get down. I said, I'll talk to you. I said, and get into the car. And he got down, get into the car and closed the door. And he said to me, he said, you haven't a clue. He said, how I'm feeling. And I said, I didn't say I know how you feel. I said, but I know how I felt. I said, for the last couple of months. And he said, yeah, but the bank is not trying to take your house. And I said, well, actually they are. I said, um, and we just clicked. So I kept talking to him, but the guards were on the way. Um, the guards came and took him. And I, he said, thanks very much for crying. And he just went off. Uh, guards took him. I went off. I was shaking. I, I didn't know what to do or what to say to myself. I was, I was shaking. Um, went off. I said, right, I better go back to work. Turned around, went back down the town. An hour later, over the same bridge, another man on the bridge. Two men one night. Um, called the guards. Same two guards arrived. They couldn't believe it. They said, no, you're joking me. And I said, the same, there's another fella here in the bridge. So I asked him what was wrong. I got out and I spoke, spoke to him, um, stopped again in the middle of the bridge and got out and spoke to him. And he said that he couldn't see his kids. And his wife or girlfriend had said, you're not going to ever see him again, blah, blah, blah. And he said, what's the point anymore? And he told he was going to take his own life. Um, got him off the bridge. He hugged me and squeezed my neck. And if my back wasn't bad enough, he was out to squeeze me with, with saying, thank you so much and blah, blah, blah. Guards took him, brought him for help. So I panicked and I went home. I had enough that night. I went home, didn't care about money. I went home and said, what if I had said something different? And they jumped. Mm. How would I live with that? Because of me, they jumped and all this, and it's my fault. And I told them to jump and all, everything was going through my head. So, um, I wanted to see, was there any training that I could get? How do you talk to people like that? What do you say to people? And this is how Taxi Watch came about. Um, I went off and the HSE were doing a safe talk course. And an assist course. Um, later on, I went on to do the assist course. Yeah, I did both of them as yeah. well. The assist was very good. Yeah, assist was brilliant. Yeah, the yeah. safe talk was was good at the time because I had never done anything else. So mm-hmm. I just I, I I thought it was good. Um, but it teaches you how to spot people are suicidal, how to talk to them, um, what to say to them, what not to say to them, the words to use, um, not to say the words committed suicide. You know, it's, it's an awful thing to say to so somebody committed suicide. They didn't. They commit. You commit crimes. You don't commit suicide. That's a legacy um, of the Catholic Church, like really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So people, like, I would never. Say committed, and not time I might let it slip out. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I, and I feel terrible for it. But um, people die by suicide; they don't commit suicide. Um, and learn all these things, and I found it excellent. I found it absolutely excellent. There was a, uh, and there was a course coming up, but that course was coming up. Um, and John Kennedy was the, the trainer, um, and he, uh, Caroline Clifford was a lady in Kilkenny in GAA, and I rang her. He said, he said to me, we have a course coming up in the GAA club. He said, see, can you get on that? So I rang Caroline, and she's no problem. She said, absolutely come on board and do it. And I was delighted because I had no involvement in GAA or anything like that. I hate GAA. Um, so I went and done the course and found it brilliant. And they said to me on that course, there's an assist course. Went and done that. Found that absolutely excellent. Um, found it tougher, much tougher. Um, we actually had an inspector from the guards there that day. Mm. He was doing the assist course and he actually stood up and stormed out crying 
it's a tough train and I did it over two days over the new CC yeah. it's a applied suicide intervention yeah. so it's not just about spotting it it's about giving you the tools and there's a specific protocol you take when dealing with somebody that you think is at risk yeah. of suicide I actually have it in my wallet still for the last five or six yeah. years yeah. a little booklet you know, and I've used it you know if somebody came to me and they were suicidal I said do you mind if I just take out the book because there's you don't want to say the wrong thing at the wrong time yeah, yeah that's kind yeah. of yeah. Like, little, little things like but it can be uh, a heavy training, yeah, like, can't it? Like, oh, it's definitely. Well, well, what I saw and expected from the guards going out, I just thought these lads are supermen. They should know these things. Yeah. And, but they don't. The guard, I didn't never realize the guards don't have any training. I, I only found out all this later on. Um, but yeah, so, so done that course and I came back to the and I said, Jesus, I wonder. Like, I'd done this for myself. Um, it wasn't about anybody else and I wasn't setting up anything. I had no intention of setting up anything. I wanted this for myself to cover me, me in case something happened again or I came across it. So I said, I wonder what other taxi drivers like to do it. So I asked, um, at the time, sorry, I was, I was depressed. I was still depressed, even though I was doing this course and I had told nobody that I, that I was depressed at all. Not even my wife. Um, and I can tell her anything. I could tell her about the killing somebody and she wouldn't say it to, it to me. Um, so you were off the meds at this stage. I was off it now. Yeah. I was off mm-hmm. the Oxycontin at this stage and I was trying to just trying to get back to work, but I was still, I was on medication. Yeah. Uh, for my back. Um, or for my depression, I, I, what happened was, um, I, I went to Dublin. I went down to a bridge. The first time I, I went down to the bridge, um, and I stood on the bridge and I just had enough. I, I just had enough at this stage and I, I didn't want to do it anymore. And I just felt so low and it was really, really low. Um, and I stood on the bridge and I let go of the bridge. It took me ages. I, I, tears were pouring down my face and I held on to the, to the bridge and, um, I was looking into the water and the water was like, it was mad. It was like, come on, jump. Come on in here. It'd be lovely in here. And all your problems will go away if you come in here now. Come on. Kept calling me. And I this little fucker, as I call him, on my shoulder, shouting at me, you're useless. You're, mm-hmm. uh, you've, you have no hope in life. Look at you. You're a waste of space. You're this or that. And he was screaming in my ear. And the water's calling me at this stage. Now, this sounds mental, but this is what happened. The water's calling me. He's screaming in my ear to jump. And eventually, I just said, right here. And I just let go. The second I let go, he fecked off, gone. The water stopped calling me. And next minute I got dragged back over the bridge and I was on the ground in a heap. And I was 23 stone when mm-hmm. I, when I decided this. And I didn't know what was after happening. And I turned around and there's this little small man. I wouldn't say he was five foot and he's standing there and he pulled me over that bridge and I hated him for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely hated him for it. Um, I wanted to go that day. I wanted to go. I'm going to start crying now. Um, yeah. I wanted to go that day yeah. and. He pulled me over the bridge and, uh, <clears throat> sorry, no. Okay, so, take yeah. your time. So I knew this would happen. So, um, that was grand. So I, I just started crying and I put my hand on my head and I was crying. And when I looked up, it was gone. There was no one there and it was back on my own. And I thought about going over again and I said, no, here, look, it's some sort of a sign. Go home. So I went home, told nobody again, didn't tell anybody that it was, I was, uh, after doing it and I was delighted that nobody saw me or whatever but I was on a big bridge in the middle of Kilkenny like like cars were driving past and all this and actually the, the man that I had stopped uh, from jumping that before or afterwards people were driving past beeping at him saying jump you clown jump and shouting at him out the window of the car beep thought it was great crack and the man was on the bridge trying to take his life and mm-hmm. I just couldn't get that into my head. What is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I probably would have taken the head off him. I didn't care how big he was. Uh, just beeping at him, jumping and laughing. And, and like, so that was great. So I went home, um, told nobody, didn't tell a, a sin, uh, a sinner and went home two weeks later. I was still crying every day, crying every day. Didn't want to be around. Didn't want to do this. 
went back down to the bridge, a different bridge, because I said, I'm going to be seeing it or that yoke will come up and try and stop me again. And I was on the bridge and I put my foot over the, 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 the railings and uh, a guard of car stopped on the bridge and looked at me. And I got back over the bridge and he drove off and left me standing there. Didn't get out of the car and ask me, am I all right? He just stopped to look at me to say, you're not going to do that. And I looked at him and he said, right, well, help me then. I need help. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go for help. I don't know who to ask. And he just, they just drove off the two guards sitting in the car. I, couldn't, I was shocked. Couldn't believe it. Um, now, I've told the superintendent since because I have a great relationship with the guards at the beginning. Um, I know down here now you don't always have Nakmahini. You mightn't have a great yeah. relationship with them. But I've never had that but good things with them. I, I didn't have them raid my house or I didn't have any of that mm. badness kind of come in and some guards are good some guards are, are bad I understand that um, but these two drove off and left me in the bridge so I said right so I went home that night and started to feel a bit better a small bit better not not much and I was on um, depression medication at that time still so I got into the car anyway and I, I rang Mick and I said um, chauffeur I said Mick I said I'm, I'm ready to go back to work there everything's sound nobody knew anything about me so I went back to work uh, I was driving an artist all day Um and next day then I went back up and I was going up and I'm always early. I don't do late for chauffeur because if one chance you mess up once, you're gone. And that, that's just the reality of the business. So I've never been, ever been late for a client ever in 14 years. Like, so I'd always be way early. Like I even here today, I was a half an hour early. Like I, I, that's just the way I am. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting in the car. Um, and I was five minutes from, from the lockup to get to, to pick up the Merc to go and collect somebody. And Mick rang me, he said, Derek, Derek, he said, listen, he said, where are you? And I said, I'm up. I said, I knew you'd be early. He said, there's someone at the airport. He said, um, they ordered a different car from somebody else. And he said, they need to be picked up. Can you fly out? And I said, yeah, no bother. So I ran over, jumped in half an hour early, sped out the gate, um, passed the driver on the way. Never saw the driver before in my life. He, he was wearing the same tie that we all have. Um, and so I, I knew he was one of our drivers. And next minute I got a phone call from the boss's son screaming at me on the phone that I was after driving out of the lockup sideways on two wheels, nearly killed an old woman walking on the road and all this. And I said, no. I said, and I said, that, that's your man. I said, after reading and saying I've done all this. I said, what's going on? And I was here, there for years mm-hmm. with him then. So, um, I picked up the phone and I rang him. I said, I got his number and I said, did you ring? He said, I did. Yeah, the speed you gone out and started shouting, screaming at me. You fat bastard. He called me. And I said, no, I was heavy at the time. And I would never, you could call me at you once. I've never been, mm. uh, I don't care what anybody calls me. Um, but this, bang, put a click in my head and snapped. I was going to kill him. And I genuinely, as true as I'm sitting here, I want to take that fella's life. Mm. And I get into the car and I drove out to the person. I got my client that I had to catch, um, got him out of there, got him to the hotel. And then I grabbed my phone and I locked on and we had, um, tracker system for every vehicle so if we had two or three cars and say for argument's sake you were driving an artist and he said where's the second car i say there you go it's, it's coming up o'connell street now we'll be here with us in two minutes and i could see exactly where so we had all that it was a brilliant system um and i could see where your man was so i ran him and i thought well, i shouldn't have ran him but thank god i did because i uh, he wouldn't be around today but um i ran him and i said uh you stay where you are i said i can see you're outside the hotel i said i'm on my way to get you i said when i get you you're dead and i got the wheel brace out of the car in the boot. I wasn't like this at all. Like <laughs> this, not me at all. Like, snapped. Yeah. And um, I was after being third operation, severe depression, severe everything. Wanted to kill myself twice. And I got into the car and I went after him. And uh, he was gone. You see, he started driving. So it was like watching the yoke. It was like something you see in the films. You could see all these lions, cars going out and around chasing them. So uh, Colin rang me and said, Derek, what the name of Christ is going on? He said, Will you stop? He said, You're going to kill him. And I said, I'm going to kill him. And I was. 
bawling. The tears were pissing down my face. Um, and if I got, genuinely, if I had got him, I'd have killed him. So Colin calmed me down. I remember going down to the Port Tunnel. I think it must have been down about 200 kilometers an hour in the brand new S-Class Mercedes, top of the range, 140 grand worth of a car, um, driving down the road. And I got to the end of the, the oak. They wouldn't let me out. The barrier wouldn't let me out. Um, they obviously known I had been speeding in or something, they, but they, the blocked, feckin' van pulled in behind me and blocked me in the, into the, uh, toll bridge. Wouldn't let me out. Um, and I was there, right? I'm going through this barrier. It's not my car. I couldn't care less. I just had to get your man to kill him. So I said, let me through. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ram the barrier. I said, I'm telling you now I will. So she let up the barrier anyway and let me do it. I was genuinely going to do it. So I went down anyway and kept looking for your man. And Colin was calming me down on the phone and I was on the phone. And, I, and at the time, I wasn't even in a car kit. I was there, yeah, I was driving around Dublin City with my phone up to my ear for ages. So drove back to the yard anyway, um, parked the car, threw the keys over the wall, 140 grand car, threw the keys over the wall, didn't even put them back in the box where they're supposed to go, got into my own car and headed for Kilkenny and decided going home that day that the next truck that I see, I'm going straight into it. I was insured. Generally got all the money, house be paid for all the bills would be gone because I, I died. Nobody would know it's suicide because it was only an accident. And I said, I'm going to do it. So driving along anyway, um, first truck I saw, I said, right, here we go. Dropped the gear anyway, heading for the truck. And I looked and I saw Lucy on the front of the truck. And straight away I said, daughter, the driver's daughter. And I, I curled up because I remember seeing Eddie Stobart's trucks have all the names of the daughters on the mm-hmm. door. And I said, no, I'm going to head for this truck now. And I saw the name, uh, backed off, didn't do it. Said, I'll do the next one. And whatever comes around the corner, for bread van, whatever it is, I'm going into it. And next thing that came around the corner was a school bus, yellow school bus. And I said, right, that's, can't do that. And I said, that's the end of it. And I just burst into tears again and headed for Kilkenny. Don't remember any of the journey home. Don't remember uh, anything at all. Complete and utter fuzz the whole way to Kilkenny. And I said, I'm fucked. I need help. And I went to the doctor and Dr. Lee uh, hit the ground bawled my eyes out and just I, I feel like I was there for about two hours um, the doctor at the time wasn't a doctor that you could kind of I didn't think I could talk to um, he was a type of man that was he was very quiet he never said a whole lot of words when you go into him and he just stood there and just looked at me and let me cry and cry and cry and cry and that was the best release I got um, and I finally told somebody that I, you know, and it was like I always, it's like somebody had been parked on my chest and they reversed off it and just the pressure came off my chest. He knew now. So I'm about to tell him somebody. So what do I do now? So he, um, organized a counselor, um, in medication. I was on the medication and I'm probably juggling the story around a small bit, but anyway. Fine. Um, so kept taking the medication, felt great after two weeks on the medication, the depression medication felt really, really good and much better than it was. So wanted to tell people. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know, I had to tell my wife. I didn't know how to tell her. I just, I couldn't tell her. So I rang the radio station, local radio station. And I said, um, I have a bit of a story for you, if you don't mind me telling you about mental health. And they said, all right. So they brought me on and I told the whole of Kilkenny, um, instantly that I had depression and I tried to kill myself and told them all, told, told them the story. Um, next day, I would say the shit hit the fan, but everything, everything happened. Um, and all good things started happening. Um, my wife knew about us and went and got the help, went and got the counselling. Um, that's when it all started to turn around. Everything started to turn around from that. And I, I know, and I, I sit here honestly and say to people, counselling doesn't help. 
everybody and medication doesn't help everybody um everybody has to get their own way of of yeah. getting help um but it worked both of them work for me and I, I found the counseling absolutely fantastic so i went um went on then after that and um after the counseling i kept I kept going to the council kept going counseling and the only reason i kept going was uh, another reason was the insurance company insisted that i was going to my solicitor had to because i, I the, obviously the claim got in against for my accident but Everybody, nobody could see my pain. Nobody could see my back pain because I was, I didn't get an arm chopped off. I didn't get a leg chopped off, but it was in agony, absolute agony. And I remember being in the pub one night and I wasn't drinking heavy. I was in for one or two drinks and, um, somebody was there and there was an ad on the television about fake claims and your man with the collar on him and, uh, he puts his hand in your pocket. You ever see that ad? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And next minute, Hey Derek, you're on the telly. And I turned around like that and I, I was in bits now and I turned around like that and I looked up. And I just burst into tears and walked out of that pub and walked home. Um, and this person didn't do this. He was just messing. And, yeah. and I took it to heart because nobody believed me that I was sore. Nobody. You know, then I went to the high court with this. After three operations. Yeah. Yeah. But you see, I, I, all I was short to do was dropping my pants and showing them like, um, and then I went to the solicitors. I went to the high court and their solicitors didn't believe me. They thought I was pulling a stroke and pulling a scam and all that. What was the high court for? I had to go to, I went to the high court. The, the, even though, the person was drunk. The person was responsible. Oh, yeah. Everything was gone on. It was their fault. Nothing to do with me. I had four guards as witnesses. Oh, from the crash. From like, the crash. Yeah, yeah. Everything was there. But yet they, they, they didn't take blame for it. So, uh, that was it. They, they, in the high court, they, um, obviously the, the case was settled and I went home, loads of money. And I was still at home, bawling, crying over money problems, worrying about money. And the money was there. Um, the day actually I was in the high court, we were, it was Cork. Um, Bruce Winston was in Cork. Oh, yeah, and I was yeah. on that tour. We'd done the whole of Ireland. Um, so I, I left it to come up to the high court. And I came out of the high court that day. And I let a scream out of me. I was on my own. Nobody was with me. And I was on my own. And I let a scream out of me in Smithfield, in, right in the middle of where, near where I parked. And I let this scream because it was over. And they dragged it on for four years. And it was four years that I could have been dead. Mm. Um None of them give a shit. That's what they were probably hoping They were for. probably hoping. That's exactly what I, I convinced of that. That's exactly what it is. Um, they didn't care about me. No, the solicitors in there that day didn't care about me. They, they didn't care about my mental health. They didn't care about that. And my own solicitor knew the problems I was going through because it was his counselor or his counselor that, that they were paying for the counseling. Like, um, but even to go to the counseling, the counseling was 120 euros a session. I didn't know there was free counseling around the place. You want to be making another enough for right, no money. It? Yeah, I had no money. I had 40 minutes for 120 euros. But I went in anyway, um, and he turned around and he said to me, can you afford this? And I said, no. I said, I don't have any money. I said, I'm, I'm skint. And he goes, right. He said, when you get started, he said, um, tell your solicitor to pay me. And that was the best deal that this man could. He, he helped me unbelievably. He doesn't know how much, because I was thinking, I, I can't keep coming to you. I don't have the money. Like, mm. um, and he said, tell your sister to get me paid. And he did. And he, and he was brilliant. Dr. Tim Dunn in um, Carlo, who's fantastic. Um, so that well was done, it. Dr. Tim Dunn. Yeah. Well no, done. he was a fantastic yeah. man. Um, I always, I, I can still hear it. That was now, that was then. This is now. Um, was that in 2013? Yeah. I think I was in uh, St. Francis Farm because I remember Bruce Springsteen's tour was on at the time. Yeah. 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 He did Norland Park as well, didn't he? Norland Park and Kenny and, and Belfast. Yeah. yeah. And Belfast yeah. as well, yeah. Brilliant. Um, but he's meant to be on real live as a kind of a side thing, but he's meant to be brilliant live. I've never seen yeah. him live. Yeah. yeah but you know what it is, yeah. and yeah, you I, grew up guess, I don't go to concerts. Um, yeah. But we do. We go to every concert, but 
You don't win well, the. You sit in the carriage at the back, like yeah, oh, okay. it goes off. You're, 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 you go in for the first two minutes. He's all right, Grant, see you, yeah. and, and you're going out the door. Um, in the car park of Bruce Springsteen's hands are listening to the Dubliners on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, often happens, but um, yeah. yeah. So, so that that's the way it went, um, and so okay, anyway, done the courses, came back, um, said, "Can I get taxi drivers to, to start?" So after being on the radio. Um, a couple of people in the radio decided they wanted to do the course as well. So we got 25 people in Kilkenny. The assist. The assist. Uh, no, a safe talk first. Safe, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you see, you won't get tax drivers to do two full days because they think you're going to do all this. You're not going to do it. I do it because I wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, some of them have gone on to do it themselves. Um, but we don't. All we, we were doing at the time was assist. So got the assist course or the safe talk course done uh, 25 was Kilkenny Andrew McGuinness the mayor of Kilkenny at the time um, he gave us his, his um, whatever you call it his, his room yeah. um, his quarters whatever it is and we done it there and he done it as well um, and then stuff started to happen um, documentary was asked to go to make a documentary on us they followed us around for nearly a year shooting this documentary of what we do and um, but very very quickly people were looking for help very like unbelievably quickly like we went in a couple of days because we we're all over the radio then and it got popular and i was so ashamed at the time that i had depressed been depressed and, and all this i didn't know anyone else had been depressed and now all of a sudden you're telling me you're depressed and mm. had depression for years and you tried to kill yourself and you're telling me and i'm there holy jesus is this as bad as mm. i know because I, I was completely ignorant of it. so everybody is asking for help every single person doctors judges guards solicitors everybody so it's not people that are on the on the on the floor um with no money are living mm. in tents it's not just them it's people that are living in mansions and as i said from the very start yeah. it doesn't matter who you are the depression and suicide doesn't care who you are it'll attack you if it wants to and it'll get in on you and mm. unless you ask for help you you you, you and it can happen to anybody um at any time in your life i never thought i'd have depression in my life like um yeah. i was always joking and messing and still yeah. do um but there's still days now i get bad days yeah. um but i know how to beat it now and I, I always say, don't let the fecker win. Don't let it beat you. Get mm. up and get out. Get out of the house. Go for a walk. Um, but I never walked. And I've been telling people for years, for since this, since 2014, since we started Taxi Watch, um, look at exercise is brilliant. Exercise. And here's me sitting there and eating pizzas. <laughs> and uh, now I didn't think I needed to help. And whether people know it or not, the people that I'm talking to in the cars that are suicidal, a man, uh, there was a chap got into the car. He was at the river one night and I got him off it and got him into the car. He was um, gay, couldn't tell his father. Um, he was from Galway. He was down at the Kenny on a stag night. And I said, well, look, I said, do you want me to ring your dad? And I said, he wanted to tell him, but he couldn't tell him. And I didn't know what to say to him. And, and he said to me, do you, I said, do you want me to tell your dad? So he said, yeah, would you mind? <laughs> so I said, right, because I wasn't expecting him to say yeah. So um, we brought him up to a hotel. Into Kenny, got him a room, got him away from his mates because his mates didn't, they left him. Um, got him away from, you know, around the hotel. I said, look, have you any room I can put this fella into? I said, I'll sit outside the room. I said, make sure the windows are locked. I said, and the whole lot. So got him a room. Um, I ran his dad from outside and I told him, his dad said, sure, I know he's gay. And he knew about it. And this young lad had been hiding it for years and years and years. Now, to be honest with you, I knew he was gay the minute he got into the car by looking mm. at him anyway. But he didn't know that his parents knew about it. So his parents said, look, can you hang on to him? And they drove from Galway at 2 o'clock in the morning right down to Kilkenny, um, picked him up and, and went away. But things like that is what, is what started to happen. And every day people are getting into the taxis with the drivers and just breaking down. We're the last person at night to see a person going home. Mm-hmm. Um, we're the last person they meet and, and then they're in their house so if they can't talk to you and get it out 
now. Mm. That's it. They're, they're in bother when they go inside in the house. So they just start talking to us. And because we were on the radio so much, the newspaper so much, every media place in the, in the country took it up. Um, and he turned, he turned that movement in, you turned into a charity. It turned into a charity. Yeah. We, what happened was, uh, I didn't want to be a charity. I had no interest, interest whatsoever in becoming a charity because uh, as far as I was concerned, charities only raise fundraisers, pay the CEOs. All this was in my head. Like that's, they're a waste of time, but they're not and they, they need to be there. So. Uh, seven years went by um, we weren't a charity we weren't fundraising we weren't doing anything and next minute we got a phone call saying either become a charity or stop doing what you're doing and I said well you can and I won't tell you what I said to them and mm-hmm. they said well we can make it so that we, we, you can't keep doing what you're doing so I said well what's involved and little did I know the hardship that was involved in becoming a charity it was absolutely it was horrible it was the worst experience it was nearly as bad as experience I've, I've been in so um, over the last two years, we've been trying to become a charity. So it wasn't happening. I had to keep sending in stuff and keep sending in this and keep sending in this. Um, and there was always more needed and more needed and more needed. Um, and we got no help from the HSE whatsoever. They don't help you. And that's, I'm not trying to put down the HSE now, but yeah. they, they look after their own. And any little organizations and charities around the country are on your own. The HSE don't step in. Like it took them nine years to help Pieta House, um, which is ridiculous, absolutely mm. ridiculous. But they just don't, don't do it. So... Um, mm when we were training all the taxi drivers, it was getting harder and harder and they were starting to put kind of walls up against me. And I said, this was this only maybe two years into it. And I said, well, what, why can't we train tax, more taxi drivers? I said, I have another 25 here I want to be trained. They said, no, no, we can't do individual groups, the HSE said. So I said, but sure, why? Like, what difference does it make who you train as long as they're training people? I said, we needed this done. So they wouldn't do it. So I was there. What am I going to do? Is there any other training? I guess. So we could do three, three, three people every three months or four months. I said, that's no good. That's not going to help me. So I asked, could I become a trainer today to a, a woman in the HSE? Um, and she said, you? And I said, yeah. I said, but you're a taxi driver. And I said, okay. And what's that got to do with me becoming so a trainer? Not able, like- I said, but you wouldn't have the qualifications to be, to be a trainer. And I said, you haven't asked me what qualifications I had or I don't have, right. I said, to become a trainer. I said, you just assume I'm a dumb taxi driver and no brains. So, oh no, that's not what I'm saying at all, but it was exactly what they were yeah. saying. So they wouldn't do it. And they, the people who own Safe Talk and Assist, um, I've been in contact with them over the years. They contacted me and they said, what you're doing is fantastic. You're an absolute inspiration and blah, blah, blah. And as I said to you, Lauren, I don't take compliments. I don't, I don't like people giving me compliments. Um, I'm just not able for it. So they kept saying, you're a hero, you're this. And then after winning Unsung Hero in, in 2016 award and um, I was delighted, like it was, it was yeah. going to get it. But so I kept, kept doing things and kept trying to push this on and push this on and push this on and they wouldn't do it. So they contacted me and asked me, um, would I be interested in becoming a trainer? And sure, my eyes lit up and they were going to uh, send me to Canada. They were going to pay for all the training for me to become a trainer and all that. So I was going in July. Um, and next minute I got a call saying it's all off. And I said, why? Um, well, I can't really tell you. And I said, HSE. And he goes, yeah. So they put a block on it. They have the rights to safe talk and assist for this country. Um, and anybody outside the, so the HSE can't become a trainer. And I said, but I'm not trying to make money. We're doing this for free. We're giving away free training. I'll train for free. I won't charge you anything. They said, no, can't do it. So they wouldn't allow me to do it. So I was absolutely frustrated. Um, and then I met, um, Fantastic man. While we were doing tax, setting up Taxi Watch, we went down this, um, met this man, Ray Cullen. He's in a, an organization called Talk to Tom in Gory. Um, it's, it's a charity and they're completely voluntary. Nobody gets paid. And that's what I loved straight away because there's nobody on 300 grand a year or 220 grand a year wages. So, uh, I said to Ray, what can we do? And he said, well, we have training called QPR. 
Um, and QPR is um, basically the easiest way for me to describe it as assist in one day rather than stretch it over two days. And it's it's it's, it's an excellent course, absolutely excellent course. Um, so I said to him, well, can we use that training for tax drivers? And he said, absolutely. So they've actually changed the course mm. um, and made, they, they can deviate the course and they made it for exactly for tax drivers um, as well. So now we have a course that it's accredited. It's all um, perfectly done. And I became a trainer in it. Um, Ray trained me. He's a master trainer for Ireland and he trained me free of charge um, to become a trainer, which is fantastic. So we're all ready to go. So now I had to become the charity. Uh, so that was the next obstacle to get across. It was, it was a constant, constant battle to do this. They, they wanted me to go away. They didn't want me to, to keep doing what we were doing. So eventually, um, I, I had to get indemnity insurance. We had to get all of this sort of stuff organized and we were getting all that organized. And then it just kept getting kicked down the road, the charity kicked down the road and it wouldn't help us. Um, and I said, what am I going to do? So I went to Ray and Ray said, well, I'll tell you what we do. Uh, well, I, I asked him, would you take the charity? Would you take, if I hand you Taxi Watch as an initiative, I said, I'm the founder of it. I said, will you take it on as an initiative of your organization? Didn't know whether he would, didn't know he And absolutely in the heartbeat, snapped it up. And he said, yeah, we said, we'd love to roll that out across the country. So they um, put it to the charity regulator and they were, in fairness, in the end, the charity regulator were brilliant. They were, they were fantastic. They helped me out in the mm. end, but just took a while. Um, and I can see the problems there was, I was a one-man band. Yeah. And they were kind of afraid I was doing all the work. If I went sick tomorrow morning, who'd run Taxi Watch? And all these things were coming. So they were right in the yeah. water. Even though it was taking time, they were right. Um, but now, uh, Talk to Tom have taken over the initiative. They're going to roll it out. And within, I'd say, a few days of becoming a charity, the National Transport Authority ran us um, and said they want to help roll it out across the whole of Ireland to every single taxi driver in Ireland, which is just phenomenal, absolutely yeah. fantastic. Um the UK have been on. They want to roll out across the whole of the UK as well. So we couldn't have done that with the HSEs course because we could do three drivers a month or every three months, which mm. was ridiculous. Now we can do 25 drivers or 50 drivers every day if we that's wanted to. Um, and yeah. plenty of drivers. So that's what it is. Um, and as I said to you before, the reason, the reason Taxi Watch worked, um, was because of, I, I was telling you earlier on, a taxi driver got a call. Um, to pick up somebody and he went and picked them up. The person asked to go to a location, um, miles away, absolutely 120 euros away. And tax driver, sure, he was delighted. He, uh, he just saw money and, and he said, a nice fare, brought your man to where he wanted to go. The man paid the, the, the driver his money, he never spoke the hallway up, uh, paid the man the money and uh, said, look, I don't need these. And he gave him his keys, wallet and his phone. And he said, I won't need these anymore. And he slammed the door. So the driver was sitting in the car and didn't know what was going on, didn't cop it. Now, any of us would have copped yeah. what was going on because the location, why would you be going there at half 11 at night, pitch dark? So we got out to see where the man was and he was gone. Um, and unfortunately, that person was found the next morning um, taking their life. And um, that's why Tax Watch works because, and that's why it has worked in Kilkenny. Um, I'm different. Everybody knows me. So people have no bother opening up to me as well. But now all our other drivers are people are opening up to them. Um, they're walking up with stickers on our cars in Taxi Watch and they're a little small sticker and people know the cars and they're actually getting into the cars and because they know they can talk to this driver and there's no judgment and, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely fantastic. And um, is there taxi watch drivers in Cork? There will be. Um, I, after this, actually, we've, I've a meeting, um, in Cork. We, Cork 96 FM are going to help us bring it out. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, That's but it's, it's gone, to, it's definitely gone to Cork. Um, My uncle Pat is a Pat Leonard. He's a taxi driver in Dublin. I wonder is he a taxi watcher? I must text him yeah, afterwards yeah, yeah. and ask him. I have a question for you. Do you have to be a taxi driver? 
to put a, a taxi watch sticker on your, your no, vehicle. No, if anybody well, wants one, they can do it because our, so our contact are, details are on it. Yeah, 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 there are genuine people out there who really do care about people mm. and they'd love to be able to help out in that way. Yeah. So if there's anyone listening... Oh, any taxi driver there, they can contact me through the Facebook page yeah. or, or contact me directly via my own Facebook page yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I'll take one for myself as well. Yeah, no problem. I'm sure James will. Yeah. yeah, but it's great because it's it's like, as I said, when you do the training, it tell, you, you go in as a taxi driver and you leave as a taxi driver, like yourselves. You're mm-hmm. not trained counsellors. You're not trained this. All we're trying to do is help people. And at the start, we've, we've got no negativity. We, we No, I'm lying to you. We have. We have one person who has given us negativity for maybe the first year. And broke my heart, absolutely broke my heart. Um, and I blocked, blocked him from Facebook and he came on his, in his wife's page and kept doing it and all that, saying that we're not psychologists. We shouldn't be counseling people in the car. We're not counseling people. We signpost people to where they can get the help. Yeah. That's all we It's are. actually That's very it. similar to what we do to me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and a lot of people contact us too and we just signpost people, really. That's all it is. Yeah. That's all it is. And as I said, it's lived experience. Mm. You can't help anybody. Unless you've, you've gone through a lived experience. And, and what I mean by that is a person who goes to college for four years, you can go to college for 10 years if you like uh, to learn about depression. But if you haven't had it, don't ever dare tell anybody who has depression, you know mm. how they're feeling. Mm. You don't know how they're feeling. You don't know what's going on in their head. Um, you don't know what's going on in their life. You, you, you've no, no idea. Like, um, even back, I remember my, my son's a Man United fan. Um, Fair play, uh, yeah, and I hate soccer. I hate sports, as I said to you already. Um, I go to Liverpool matches. I go to Celtic matches with the lads. I go to United matches with my son. But I remember the last United match was, um, I think it was 2013. And it was Alex Ferguson's last match. And I was at that match. Now, these tickets were like gold dust. And here's me sitting in the crowd. No interest in being there whatsoever. <laughs> but I was there for my son. Um, and he turned around to me. And he said, Daddy, today is the best day of my life. And I was in the height of depression at that time. Um, and he said, today is the best day of my life. And he looked down at me and Alex Ferguson was going around and he was waving. And we all had flags and all the crowd was crying because Alex was leaving. And I just burst into tears. And the woman beside me uh, leans over and she's like, no, shit, it's terrible. I said, yeah, yeah, poor Alex. I said, no, if Alex had got a heart attack and died on the pitch that day, I wouldn't have cared. Um, <laughs> what was going on in your she, own head? Yeah, my own head was yeah. crying because that. And Shaquille thought then I was crying because of Alex Ferguson and all that. Um, What's the plan for the future, very briefly? Uh, plan for My plan for the future is to... Uh, get every part of Ireland tax drivers covered, um, mm. as many as we can. Not every tax driver wants to do it. Obviously, um, some people just feel they can't do that and, and that's their choice. Um, some people said to me it should be mandatory. It shouldn't. Um, it, some people aren't up to it and that's their own yeah. way they, they deal with things. Um, so I'm going to hopefully go to college next year, um, to do a degree in training and development. Um, that's the plan, yeah. Um, Best of luck with it. Yeah, I'm looking forward. I, I would never have thought yeah. I've ever go back to college. I didn't even do my leaving cert, like um, no interest whatsoever. But um, if there's there. anything I can do on a personal level, and I'm sure James has said to get yeah. this going down here and help yeah. you out any way we can. Yeah. Because I think this is very, very important what you're doing. I think it's it's, it's, it's great, yeah. yeah. It's great. And I just want to can I just say to. Um, I'm not giving Volkswagen a plug mm-hmm. here now because they, they've asked me not to plug them at all but uh, Volkswagen yeah. gave us a car at the very start of this as a car and I was telling Tim earlier on yeah. that uh, I only had a car an hour and I drove out of, of, of Volkswagen in Dublin um, and they, they labelled it with Taxi Watch it puts stickers all over Taxi Watch helpline numbers the whole lot yeah. and I walked out of the uh, I drove out of the, of the office and I couldn't believe that Volkswagen were after doing this and is this the first time somebody recognised this is actually worth doing and it's good um, but they told me not to not to bother 
mention in taxi or Volkswagen or not to do it. We don't want that in from you. Yeah. Um, which was amazing because I thought, okay, you sign up to something like this next minute you're doing everything. Yeah. Um, but they weren't, they, they were just interested in helping people. And I parked over in Liffey Valley that day and I only had a car an hour and I went into Liffey Valley for food and I came out and there was a man sitting at the wheel of the car and I looked at him. I didn't know what he was. I thought he was trying to rob the car first. I didn't know what yeah. was going on. Um, and all I wanted to do was take my phone out and say, look, I told you it works. Um, and I did work, but I, I obviously didn't. But the man needed help and he saw the car. Yeah. And an hour after, after leaving, um, it's brilliant. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I couldn't believe yeah. it. So, um, fair thanks play, to Volkswagen for everything they do for me because they're and brilliant. I just trod out there as well. The Volkswagen one had done it. us a Golf GTA. We'd have to accept yeah, that. Yeah. An electric car, electric car. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, you're a great storyteller. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Best of luck with your business in Cork over the weekend with 96FM. Uh, lovely people over there. Yeah. Um, and have enjoyed the rest of your weekend in the you uh, beautiful city of ours. Thanks, Timmy. Thanks, Rowan. Thanks, lads. And thanks, everybody. And thanks we'll see you next week. 